I've got the awesome privilege of um, inviting Dr. Dan back into the stage. I'm going to read this because if I try to memorize it, I'll probably get it wrong. So, Dr. Dan Backens is the founding and senior pastor of the New Life Church, a 5,000-member multi-site church located in Virginia, USA. He also serves as a senior executive director of One Focus Network, an international network of Christian leaders, ministries, and churches. He holds a master's degree in church history, which when I saw it, I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool, uh, and renewal renewal theology and a doctorate of worship studies. He is happily married to Rhonda, and they have three children and eight grandchildren. And then there's also Jonathan um, and Matthew. His sons are with him tonight. So, or other way around. Yeah. (laughs) Other way around. (laughs) Cool. Um, and then, yeah, just if you can come forward, and then we're just going to pray for you. And, yeah. Can you guys just stretch out your hands tonight? Thank you. Uh, Father, we just bring Dr. Dan Backens, and we just, Lord, we just thank you for sending somebody who is matured in you, Lord, and, and, and has walked the journey with you, Lord. And we, we just thank you, Father, that he's just going to come and bless us tonight. So, Father, I just pray that you'll speak through his mouth and that your spirit will just guide him tonight. And we'll just make space for your Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be with you tonight. It's a real privilege of mine. I've been in the States, or excuse me, in South Africa for two days, and I think the jet lag is just starting to wear off a little bit. And uh, I noticed when you prayed for me, you thanked God for my maturity. Is that a synonym for the old, the old guy? The old guys here? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Our church in Virginia Beach has started a Sunday night service. We have a lot of services on Sunday at multiple locations. And some of those are by video. And I preach some of them live. And we have a teaching team. We just started a Sunday night service called Naos. And it's a Greek word that means new, and it's for young adults. And we have attracted young adults throughout our city. I probably guess maybe half of the young adults that are there go to our church, maybe more. Maybe three, two-thirds might come to our church, the other third don't. We have married folks there, too, and, and some of the folks that work on Sunday, they come that evening with full child care. And, and it's just starting to boom. And I think this last week we had about 300 young adults there. It's, it's um, yeah, you can put your hands again and thank God for that. I had an idea. Why don't we get our Sunday night service and your Sunday night service together for a service? Can we do that? So y'all got to either fly our way or we'll fly in. I know if I told everybody in our church, hey, you guys want to go to South Africa and have a joint service with the young adults in South Africa? They would say, let's do it, and we could, I think we could really do something like that. It's something joint, because there's such so much similar, I think, a similar vibe, a similar outreach. If I could do just a quick, uh, this will help me tonight. How many in this room, uh, just by the show of hands, are married? Go ahead and glance at your left hand. If you've forgotten, you should, you should see a ring there. Okay, you're married. How many of you are unmarried? Now, everybody should have raised their hand there, right? Okay. <clears throat> How many of you uh, attend Hatfield on a regular basis? Can I, like, would be like a member? Okay, okay, all right. Uh-huh. How many of you have been saved, got saved after the age of 12? After the age of 12. 
How many have, were saved before the age of 12? How many are not going to raise your hand no matter what I say? <laughs> you just say, I don't know this guy, and I'm not going to do that, not going to do it, don't care, whatever he says, not going to do it, just not going to raise my hand. Let's do that. How many of you are saved after the age of 18? All right. I got saved at age 18. And I was born and raised in the church. And I only had one experience in the church until I was born again that had any significance in my life. And it wasn't the music. It wasn't the pastor's sermon. It was the Lord's table. And I want to do something tonight with you. I want to recapture for you the dynamism and the supernatural element that when you partake of bread and wine, body and blood, that there is a metaphysical reality that changes you. There's actually a lift. When I was, before I was saved, I would go to the Lord's table and I knew about God. I was a regular church kid. I, 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 I was a church member actually and I, I thought I knew God, but I didn't really know God. I, I knew about God. I certainly didn't know him. God is my father, and I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, but, but I, I was spiritual and, 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 and religious. How many can, can identify with what I just said? You, you know about God, but you, haven't, you don't know him yet personally. That might be you tonight. But I, I always in, I encountered God in the Lord's table, and I can't describe it. I mean, I would be, you know, this is a Lutheran church, and I would get queued up in the line in the aisle. You know, you got to wait your turn, and we were singing, and then I would go up, and, you know, I'm just kind of dinging around, not really paying attention. I would go up, and I would kneel and receive the elements, and, and in the receiving of the elements, I, I, began to, I began to feel something, and then the pastor said this, your sins are forgiven. And I would walk back to my seat, and, and I couldn't describe it. There was something that had just gripped me, and, and now I know what it was. It's the personal presence of Christ, that he had come to me in the elements. Even in my weak little faith, he had come to me, and he had touched me. When Jesus said, this is my body, he didn't say, this is like my body. He didn't say, this represents my body. This is similar to my, He said, this is my, that's why I encourage people when we do the Lord's Supper, just say Jesus' words. You don't have to explain them theologically. Is it literally his body or symbolically his, I don't even, I think it's a waste of time. Just say what he said. Just say what he said. This is Christ's body broken for you. I love the for you. Not for him, for us. His body is broken for me, and his blood was shed for me. And when I receive that by faith, there's something, I want to use that term again, metaphysical. It's, it's not symbolic. I think, I think what we've, we've come to depend, we depend on music to do all the work. Right? Music does all the work now. What I mean by it, it draws you to the Lord. It disciples you by the words that are chosen. It's, it's your encounter. It's kind of your, 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 your whole thing. And so there's this tremendous burden on music. In the early church, there was three things the early church had. It had music, it had preaching, and then it had the third leg. And the third leg was the Lord's Supper. This, they relied on the Lord's Supper to bring the presence of God. And the presence of God healed and delivered and caused demonized people to be set free in the Supper of the Lord. And now we put every Everything into the music. I mean, and, and, and there's a tremendous pressure on a musician. I mean, you've got to bring a bunch of passive people into the presence of God. And the simplest way to bring them into the presence of God sometimes is say, let's come to the table of the Lord. And when you come to the table of the Lord, the Lord will meet us here, not by our efforts. Sometimes in, sometimes in music, you have to bring a lot of effort to, to be touched by God. 
you know, got to stir up yourself. You got to kind of get going. You got the warm up song. <laughs> song number one. There's not everybody's not in the room yet, so song number one's kind of a throwaway half the time. Song number two. You start to kind of get something, and then, and then by song number three, you're in his presence, and, and then afterwards, the band goes out in the hallway, and they drink a soda, go, whoo, we really did a good job in there, we really brought the people into the presence, whoo, we're just going to rest now, and the pastor, you know, he's sitting out in the green room waiting for the singers to get done so he can come in, whoo, I'm going to preach the word of God. And so the labor of singing and preaching is disproportionate. There is another element of a worship service, and that is an element when we come into his presence by partaking of body and blood. And it says, this is my presence. It's his real presence. It's not a pseudo-presence. You know what I mean by real presence? It's not, it's not like, you know, like when you're worshiping, and, and you sense the Lord. It could be in your home. It could be with a friend or it could be in church. It could be anywhere. And you sense the Lord. Is that his real presence? That's not a trick question. Yes. It's his real presence. This is what happens. If you know him tonight and you've been touched by him tonight and you talk to him and you love him, when you go to heaven, it's not going to be a different experience. Like, whoa, what's this feeling? It's going to be the exact same feeling you had on the earth, only magnified. It'll be more of it. You're going to say, I know this feeling. I felt this feeling in Hatfield Church. Church. I know this feeling. I felt this feeling at the Lord's. I felt this feeling in a prayer meeting. I know what this is. It's the presence of the Lord. King David said this. He said, Lord, I know I need a judgment because I slept with Bathsheba. I know there's going to be the nations are going to laugh at me, laugh at you, if there's not some consequence for the king taking another man's wife. And the Lord said, there'll be a consequence. And the consequence was, of course, the, the death of his child by Bathsheba. And this is what King David said. He says, Lord, you can do whatever you want to me. You can touch my body. You can take my wealth. You can depose me as the king. But I ask you one thing. Don't take your presence from me. I can't live without, I can't, I can't do this Christian thing without your presence. And I can spend five minutes with someone and I can tell they've ever been touched by God's presence. I can look into their eyes and if there's just a dullness there, like, you know, hello, I'm just hanging out. Uh, there's no judgment on my part. I say, oh God, they need an encounter. Christianity is this encounter with our worship is not the warm up of the word, the singing we encounter, we encounter in the prayer, we encounter, there's different parts of a service. It's not my purpose tonight to preach on that. I'm going to get to the, the Lord's Supper as being a, I, I think it would be unfair, it'd be not unfair to say there's nothing more powerful in a worship service than the Lord's table. And we should not rush through it. And we shouldn't just kind of, you know, get through this thing so we get back to the singing. The singing, you know what? There wasn't even any, we never sing. Until, until 1850, until 1850, the church never sang two songs back to back. It was singing, then they did something else. Then they sang and did something else. Then they sang and did something else. If you go to like a Lutheran church, a Reformed church, they're singing and something else. They're singing throughout the morning. But you never sang two songs back to back. And then now this is, and then we sang two songs, three songs. And then singing became the reason we came together. It used to be preaching. 
used to be the Lord's table. When you, when you, in 1400, if you say, how was church? They'd say, oh man, the Lord's table, man, it blew me away today. Man, God's presence was so thick up at the altar during the Lord's Supper. It was just phenomenal. You should have been there, man. By the way, the coffee hour has been moved a half an hour earlier just to let you know that if you show up on time, there will be no coffee for you. And then, and then at the Reformation, at the Reformation, it was preaching. Oh, the preaching. Oh, the preaching, the preaching. The, God moved in the preaching, the preaching. Luther preached, Calvin preached, Spurgeon preached, the preaching. Then came the charismatic movement right at the end of the, of the Second Great Awakening. And you had, you had Finney and others who used music and popular music at that to prepare hearts for the preaching of an evangelistic message. And so all of a sudden, the singing, by the way, there was never anybody on a platform until 1900. They were always in the back. The choir was in the back. The organ was in the back. The decanter was in the back. Not up here. So what happened with modernism is the music and then amplification, right, and, and, and songwriting and this beautiful thing that God did with music has just swept the earth. You know, I could go, I, go, I travel a little bit. I go to India. I go, I go to Europe. I've now been here in South Africa for a second time. People are singing the same stuff. Hillsong has gone all around the world. Now, there's different, there's different uh, colloquial kinds of ways to sing it, but the worship is just, the singing has just gone all around the whole, the whole world. So now what's happened is the singing becomes the centerpiece or the preaching becomes the centerpiece. So they're both about a 40-minute gig in big, serve, in big churches or 30 and 40. Whatever happened to the third leg? This is so modern. 16 centuries of Christians wouldn't even recognize this. What is this? We just sing and sing and sing and sing. And we'll sing until we feel his presence. Then we pray. And then we added this unique thing to our services called the announcements. <laughs> and you got to have them their announcements. Without the announcements, you don't know what's going on. And we're this high-tech culture. We've got social media and billboards and telephones and what's up, man? Well, we got the five-minute announcements. I don't think anybody ever goes home and says, man, did you feel God's presence in the announcements? Wow. Yeah, man, I did when they were over. Even having fellowship has a, has a biblical value. Greeting one another and hugging one another and just saying hi. That's fellowship. And that's, you know, in Acts chapter 2, that's a fundamental part of a worship service is to, is to be together, to laugh and to pray and to hug and to get to know one another. I was in a very small Bible study in college when I got saved at age 18. I got saved in a group of about 12 Christians that later became a church that I pastored. Out of those 12 Christians, there was four guys that led this group of 12. I was one of the four. There, and we married, every one of us married a girl in that group of 12. <laughs> what are the odds of that? I was the first one to marry. I married my wife, Rhonda. She's only 19 when I married her because I looked at all those girls in that small group and I go, no, no, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm going to be serious. They were like a 3, a 4, and a 4.7. My wife is a 10. I'm going, I'm not going to marry a 
No, come on. Uh, come on. If you marry 4.7, by the time you marry 30 years, she's going to be like a 2.6. <laughs> you know, honey, do you love me? Oh, yeah, I love you, babe, but, but you got to move up the, the ladder a couple of points. If you're not sure tonight where you're at at the scale of 1 to 10, I brought my two sons with me, and they'll give you, they'll write on a piece of paper, they'll give you a good estimate. They'll say, like, I th they'll converse, and they'll go, I think, I think she's about an eight. And they'll just give that to you, pray over it. So I'm in this small group, and we married, started a church, and we began a journey, and it was all about singing in the early days. We wrote our own songs, and it was very powerful, wonderful. Instead of songs about Jesus, we began to sing songs to Jesus. I got saved in 1975, and that was the tail end of the Jesus movement in America. And so we, we this, and for a guy that's in the Lutheran church that sung to an organ his whole life, this was, this, was, this was phenomenal stuff. And I met him. I met him dramatically. And when I met my wife, I said, honey, we're going to marry. My wife and I got engaged on our very first date. Yeah. We went to a movie we called Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. It's a Disney. And somewhere in about an hour, 15 minutes in the movie, I put my arm around her. Come on. Come on. And she was mine. And uh, kidnapped her. And then said, either you marry me or I'll never let you go. <laughs> now, actually, we that night talked, and we'd known each other for two months and decided to get married. Don't, I don't recommend this to you all <laughs> unless you're in revival. And we were in personal revival. We waited a whole year. We did it right with our parents and all that. But we knew we were, we were going to be married. And... Uh, and so I started this journey of, of just the things of God were just coming alive. And the singing was like, this is brand new. And, and, and marriage and starting a church and coming out of the, the lifeless, dead religious forms that I had known my whole life. And then the, and I heard good preaching that was anointed and powerful and I could really relate to it. But, I, but, I, it's, but it's not sustainable. I want you to hear me tonight, young adults. Singing is not enough. And a podcast of Andy Stanley or whoever you're listening to, that's not enough. It can't sustain you. When I mean sustain, I would hope if we had a reunion of this group in, in 25 years, you're all come. You're all serving the Lord. You, you haven't backslid. You haven't given up on God. Doubt hasn't taken your childlike faith away from you in university. You're, you're with God. But singing is not enough. Every song we sing today is about shame and chains. Because we have a broken generation. It's shame and chains. If I sing one more song about shame and chains, I'm just going to like fall out, man. Shake off the chains. Break the chains. No fear of the chains. The shame. No shame. Shame, shame. Well, this is so cultural. What about the transcendence of a personal God who's invading your space? And Jesus is Lord and he's coming in. And then preaching that, you know, you know, preaching is not a talk. Preaching is not communication. I, I just hate it in seminaries when they call a preaching class a communication class. It's not communication, it's proclamation. Teachers teach what they taught. Preachers preach who they are. There's a huge, huge difference. And good preaching. But good preaching and good singing is not enough for you. It's not enough for you. 
Eventually the singing gets stale. You'll, be, you'll come my age, there'll be a new genre of music, and you can't relate to it. Then you're, the, you're outside looking in. You're outside looking in because it has moved past you. And the preaching, it's, it's so contextual now and so in the moment and, 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 and preachers are just trying to connect with the non-Christian and, and I get all of that. And yet I'm feeling like this is not enough to hold me. What I just heard of that, that's not enough to hold me. Three points and how being a great leader is not going to hold me for, for 25 years. It's not going to hold me. Or six ways to be a success, that's not going to hold me. I have to have preaching that takes me, tethers me to the cross in contextual terms, right? But there's the third element. The third element is the Lord's Supper. On a regular basis. The Lord's Supper, you don't have to work yourself up. Lift your hands, come to the front and dance. Let's put so much pressure on these guys. It's no fun leading worship when they look out there and they go, you know, that's why all these churches now, they're darkening their sanctuaries. It's not for the people, it's for the worship team. They just can't take the rejection. <laughs> you know, let's lift our hands to the Lord. Oh, good grief. Turn the lights down, would you please? I can't stand it. I just can't stand it, you know. You know, just too much for me in church to do this. It's just too much. I'm so controlled. When he says, let's lift, I'm just so controlled. I'm going to lift my hands. When I feel, I go, oh, Lord Jesus, this is, this is so, this is so weird, man. It won't sustain you long term. I want to leap on to deposit something in you tonight. You have to have the Lord's Supper. You have to come to the table often. You come to the table if you're married with your spouse, boyfriend or girlfriend, with your friend. You come often. And there's, there's reverence, but there's expectation. There's not performance, there's faith. When you listen, you know, the, in a sermon, you got to take notes and listen. All, at a table, all you got to do is get to it. Just get to the table. And what's, what's, what's the qualification to come to the table? Just childlike faith in a Savior. That's all you got to have. You're, you're qualified by saying, Lord, I'm unqualified. You're made worthy by just simply confessing I'm not worthy. You come to the table and say, Lord, I don't deserve about what I'm going to get right now. There's going to be a metaphysical transition. There's going to be a portal of grace. There's going to be a connection of heaven to you. His real presence that you felt in worship is going to be ginned up about 100%. You're going to sense him right there in the Lord's table. And when he comes to you, he heals your body. He touches your mind. You, you walk back to your chair and go, what was that? What just happened there? It's not just symbolic. It's like, I'm going up here just to, oh, hey, man, how you doing? You know, I'm drinking. Man, I just, dear man, I leave the lights on in the car. I can't even remember where I parked that thing. <laughs> By the way, we parked in the wrong parking lot tonight, let you know, on the other side. And it was 6 o'clock, and there wasn't anybody there. <laughs> so I said, let's drive around a while, wait for people to come. And so we drove around the other side of the building, and you're all here. <laughs> that was a real trip, I'll tell you. When you come to the Lord's table, and we partake of body and blood, we don't come with a scientific mind like... Is this transubstantiation, consubstantiation, real presence, memorialism? We come with expectancy. We come in obedience to the Lord. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 11. He said, I'm going to give you something that Jesus has revealed to me personally. 
He says, revealed to me. He never said that about the gospel. He never said that about anything. He said, this, the Lord has revealed this to me personally. Even when he was caught up in the third heaven, he never told us what he got. This, he said, the Lord Jesus, whom Paul never met in the flesh, had come to him and said, Paul, there's one thing you've got to get right. You've got you to get the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is the enactment of the gospel. It's, it's the cross becoming real. The five senses are getting involved. When you taste and you smell and you feel and you sense, this is, this is, this is a sacrament. This is the portal of grace where God says, you know, I'm going to come in. I'm going to touch you in a very positive, real way. And you're going you're gonna to sense it. You know, I'm going to get back on this trip. My wife's probably going to meet me at the airport. And, and my wife's Rhonda. And I'll see Rhonda, right? And I could do this. I go, hey, Rhonda, I love you. Love you. And Rhonda, and Rhonda could see me and say, I love you. And I could say something like, hey, sweetie, you're, you're the cat's meow. <laughs> it, I don't know if that's colloquial, but that's, uh, for me, that's a pretty powerful, loving thing to say. You're the cat's meow, baby. And my wife will say to me, I hear you, stud muffin. <laughs> I said that this morning, and I afterwards I asked somebody, when I said the word stud, is that like one of those words you don't say in, in another country? And they said, no, it was, a, it was a good word. Is that a good word? Stud, I got the muffin part right here. Been working on that thing. Fulfilling a prophetic word she gave me. Stuff. I am the stud muffin man. I'm a muffin top right here. Muffin top. I'll leave the stud part to your imagination. <laughs> now, if I say that we're talking to each other, that's good. That's like worship. I talk to the Lord. He talks to me. That's cool. It's like prayer. I talk to the Lord. He talks. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. But that's not enough. If I see her, I want to hold her. She's my wife. I want to embrace her. That's what a sacrament, that's what the Lord's Supper does. That's when he, embrace, he makes himself real to you because you taste and you smell and you swallow and you feel the, the bread and the wine. It's, he says, I know we can sing, we can preach, but I, I want to come and I'm going to touch you in a real way. I'm going to get these five senses going again. I'm going, I'm going to come in and you might say, well, do, do I really have to do the Lord's Supper? It's, you don't have to, it's for you. It's his way to come into your life and do something that prayer and singing won't do. It's not designed to do all the lifting. I went back to seminary at age 55. Actually, I think I fibbed this morning. I was really 57. I went back to seminary to learn more about worship. The very first day of seminary, and it took three years to complete the degree. I really loved what I studied. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to the seminary, and uh, the very first day of seminary, I get a phone call from my wife. I'm, I'm a thousand miles away. And she says, honey, uh, we got some stuff happening at home with our, with our daughter. It's, my sons are with me tonight. They're, they're, they're little sister. And we had struggled with some stuff, and she had fallen back in some serious addiction stuff. 
And if you know anybody in addiction or you face addiction, there's a whole psychosis that goes with addiction and it destroys the whole family. And, there's, and, it just, and my wife was melting down and, and I said, honey, should I come home? And she said, no, stay. Just keep close to your cell phone. And I said, all right. And, and I was just so defeated as a pastor. I thought, how can I preach the, the, the word of God? And, and, and my daughter, you know, she didn't walk away from the Lord, but she did wander a bit. For, for 10 years, just kind of doing her thing out there. And I felt such guilt that I hadn't raised her right. I felt shame as a pastor. I, I stopped preaching on parenting. I stopped preaching on these things because I, I, my, my daughter was just tormenting us. And I felt so unqualified, disqualified. I can't tell you how I just felt in depression and shame and fear. I felt like I had failed, just failed so badly. So I went to the very first service of seminary, and it was a communion service. I didn't know anybody there. I'm a new student. It's not a big seminary, but there's probably room at least this many people. And... I don't even remember the sermon, and I don't remember the singing, not a bit. I do remember the Lord's table. I was broken, and the and we got the usher dismissed us, and I'm walking up there, and I knelt down at the communion table, and I'm saying to the Lord, I'm so broken, I don't have the strength to pray. I'm not worthy. I'm not that. I'm not a good person, and I'm so sorry. And in, you know, just how are you made worthy to come to the table by confessing you're unworthy? You don't have to get your act together before you come to the table. You come to the table to be touched by him if you're just honest with him. So I come to the table and I knelt down and the pastor came and said, this is Christ's body for you. Receive it. And then the cup came and he said, this is Christ's blood shed for you. And the people got up, and I just stayed there. And I just felt his presence just lift me. His body and blood given for me, his real personal presence was touching me. I know the feeling. I've walked with God 45 years. I know this feeling. I've tasted him in worship. I've tasted him in prayer. I know, I know his presence. You do too. And it's like he, he, he ginned it up. He, he just, there was something there. And I lingered there. Then a pastor came over and laid his hands on me, prayed for me. And that prophetic word that he prayed with the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and the wine and the bread, it just was this intoxicating concoction of God's grace and mercy that swept me up out of my despair. That's what the table does. If you can't get there, drag yourself there. Lord, I have I've just been such a sinner this week. All right, if you've got to drag that leg, get to the table. You don't come to the table boasting in your good works. You don't come saying, man, I've really had a great week, or boy, I'm doing God a favor. No, you say, Lord, I am such a needy person. I need the nourishment of the table. I need the strength of the table. I need the new covenant that's not based on condemnation. I need the new covenant that declares over me that my sins are forgiven. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. I need a new hope. 
Guys, if you're, if you're in porn, can I recommend you start taking the Lord's Supper? Saying, Lord, I'm stuck in this thing. I can't get out of this thing. The more I struggle, the more it's like quicksand. I just kind of see, just limp up to the table and say, Lord, I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. And in the table, God gives it grace. Now, what do you bring to the table? All you do is you bring to the table is the little bit of faith that you have. It's like this. I'll bring this much faith. And God will give me this much grace. This sustains marriages. It sustains families. It sustains churches. It will sustain you. You have to come to the table often. With variety. With friends. You have friends over. You have a meal together. See, before we go, we're going to partake of the supper of the Lord together. And as you do, God's grace seals the evening as an evening of fellowship that touched the Lord. As we close this out tonight, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Every church does it in, in a different style. And I know Hatfield has their own ways of doing it. So if the band would come and the piano player would come and begin to play a little bit. There's a place for you here this morning, this evening. There's a place at the table for you. God has something for you. In the early church, the early church went something like this. There's going to be persecution for your faith. There's going to be trials and tribulations. Be aware of this. Count it all joy. But in the early church, they also had this teaching. In the table of the Lord, there's going to be healing. And you're going to have this as your inheritance, no matter what the economy is like, no matter what the family is like, no matter what you're being persecuted is like, there's always going to be a place at the table where healing can be given. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 11, it says when they started to misuse the table, what's the first thing that happened when they began to misuse the table? People started getting sick and dying. It wasn't the judgment of God as much as it was the canopy of grace, the portal of grace was being turned off. Oh, for your mental health today, the table of the Lord means so much for your mental health. To hear these words, you're forgiven, it's going to be okay, God is with you. Jesus said, do this often. Do this often. In remembrance of me, the word remembrance is a, a Greek word, amnesis, And amnesis is a very interesting word. It doesn't mean recollect, like I remembered your name. It means... It's a Greek word that means you take something from the past or the future and you re-experience it in the present. It's as if you are in the upper room with the Lord as he gave the first Passover meal that was now the Lord's Supper. Amenesis, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, be transported here to the cross. Be right there at the foot of the cross too. Be in the upper room. Too. Be, be with me in Galilee. Be with remembrance, taking something from the past and bring it to the present and re experience it as if it's the first time. Every time you partake of the tables, always new. Final thing I'll say today the Bible says, Let it be done according to your faith. The table is not a place of shame, or you don't have to believe everything I said today. But let it be done according to your faith. If you come to the table and say, this is just symbolic, okay, it's all right. But there'll be others that will come and say, I'm really 
going to partake of something real here. And these elements, in some kind of way, Jesus didn't say, this bread is like my body. He said, this is. He said the same thing about his blood and the wine. And I don't know how that works. I'm not, I don't have a big theology on it. All I know is his real presence, his personal presence, in the act of the Lord's Supper and somehow in the elements it touches sinners like me. Do this often, he says. Do this often. Sing. Preach. But come to the table. It's the best way to get grace because there's zero performance. Father, I thank you today for the table of the Lord. I thank you for every man and woman that's in this room tonight. There's a place for them at the table. We're not leaving anyone behind. The table is a place of healing and forgiveness. And those that are struggling with sin, there's not only forgiveness, there's strength to live the life you've called them to live. For those that are lonely, there's the sense of fellowship with the Father. For those that, Lord, have great needs in body or in finance or in relationship, as we come to the table, your resource meets us in our need. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me? If I might, Stephen, could I do this real quick here? The Bible says the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Thursday night, he took bread. He blessed the bread, and then he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body for you. And just as we eat bread for nourishment, it's obvious he's meaning as we partake of this, not as a little bit of physical nourishment, there's spiritual. Not symbolic strength, I mean real strength. And then he says, the Bible says, in the same way, he took a cup. And he said to his disciples, this cup, which is the third cup in the Passover meal, is called the cup of blessing. He said, this cup is a cup of a new covenant. What did he mean? You're no longer under the law. There's no longer any condemnation. Guilt is erased. The accuser of the brethren has been defeated. It's a new covenant. It's a covenant of unmerited favor from God. You don't have to earn it. All you have to do, friends, is drink it and believe it. He says, do this often in remembrance of me because you're going to be proclaiming to the world and to yourself all the benefits of my death until I come again. So as you come today, could I encourage you, commune with two or three people at least. I'm not sure of your custom. You could come alone and eat and drink. Come with two or three people or friends. And maybe after you partake, pray, pray for each other if you feel so inclined. And linger at the table. You're going to get a miracle tonight. You're going to get a miracle. And I believe his presence will break in to your life like a portal is open from one dimension to another. Stephen?